Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Raven. Welcome to the podcast, episode 267. It's November 7th, 2016. My guest today is Steve Shortell. He is a professor of organizational behavior at the University of California, Berkeley School of Public Health. He is the director of CHOIR, the Center for Healthcare Organizational and Innovation Research. And today we're talking about lean healthcare and a new initiative of his that's part of CHOIR. It's called CLEAR the Center for Lean Engagement and Research in Healthcare. So their funding comes from, their initial funding comes from organizations you might know, the Lean Enterprise Institute, the Theta Care Center for Healthcare Value, and Rona Consulting Group. So in this episode, we'll talk about the center, their planned research, and some of the reasons why there's variation in what organizations would describe as lean, variation in methods and approach, as well as variation in results. So we're going to talk about other related topics, including a little bit about uh, payment reform, uh, accountable care organizations, or ACOs. Um, Professor Shortell was one of the creators of uh, the ACO approach. So he is uniquely uh, positioned, I think, to, um, to study this in a very um, academic way. And I think that's going to be very helpful uh, for the lean healthcare movement. So if you, if you would like to find links to the center, if you're interested and maybe um, collaborating with Professor Shortell, visit the blog post page for this episode at leanblog.org slash 267. Steve, hi. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast today. It's good to be here, Mark. Happy to do it. So, you know, before we talk about uh, the center and the work that you're doing, can you first introduce yourself, um, your background, uh, in healthcare, health policy, kind of tell the listeners uh, about you and your career. Sure. I, uh, my background is uh, in the behavioral sciences. I have a PhD in behavioral sciences from the University of Chicago. Taught there for a couple of years and went out to the University of Washington in Seattle and then was recruited to the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University where I was for about 16 years, a little bit in the medical school, mostly at Kellogg then came to Berkeley in 1998, I'm, uh, where I'm the Blue Cross uh, professor, whatever they say, distinguished professor of health policy and management here at UC Berkeley. Uh, all my work has been in healthcare, particularly around um, organizational improvement, quality and outcomes of care, 
I served the school here for 11 years. I was dean of our school of public health here, and now I'm full-time on the faculty, teaching and doing research, and head up the uh, Center for Healthcare Organizational Innovation Research called CHOIR. But our new companion center that we're going to talk about today, Mark, we call the Center for Lean Engagement and Research, or CLEAR. And I'm co-director of that along with my colleague, uh, Tom Randall. So can you, can you talk briefly about, um, about CHOIR and, and what, what some of the focus uh, has been of that center? Yeah, CHOIR was started about five years ago, and we really are focused on uh, practice-based research dealing with innovations in healthcare delivery. Uh, we're trying to work to speed up uh, the transformation of the American healthcare system through the research that we're doing in CHOIR. We have seven or eight projects about seven or eight million dollars uh, funded by uh, NIH and private foundations largely. Uh, two or three very quick examples. We're part of a national center along with the Dartmouth Institute in the High Value Healthcare Collaborative, which is 17 of the nation's largest health systems. It's a five-year award from uh, the Agency for Health Research and Quality to look at healthcare transformation issues and patient engagement and uh, care management and also biomedical innovations and the impact of uh, payment as we move towards a more value-based payment system. So that's one of our big initiatives. We also have a large PCORI grant, Patient-Centered Outcome Research Institute grant, to study patient activation and engagement in two large ACOs. We're working with the VITA Healthcare Partners headquartered in Los Angeles and then the Advocate Medical Group and Health System headquartered in Chicago. Uh, and then just to give a flavor maybe for a third project that we work on, we're doing a evaluation of the State Innovation Model Awards or the SEM grants to states, and particularly looking at the impact of those grants on improving uh, care for people with diabetes. So we have uh, four or five other projects like that under the umbrella of CHOIR. Uh, that's our major center here that's been in existence about five, five years. We have about 11, 12 staff, several faculty working with us. And then the uh, opportunity came up uh, when he asked to develop this companion center that we uh, call CLEAR. That's a little bit of background about CHOIR. Okay. Well, thanks. And, and before we talk more about uh, CLEAR and LEAN, uh, you, you mentioned ACOs, and I'm, I'm curious. Some of the listeners might not know that term. I, I did a podcast with uh, Dean Gruner um, a little over four years ago. Um, he was the CEO at ThetaCare, of course, and this is where I think maybe we start seeing overlap. We did a podcast about uh, about ACOs, but I'm, I'm curious, how would you define ACOs and, and summarize um, some of the goals and, and what, what's what been the, the aim of ACOs? What have we accomplished through ACOs? Right. Happy to talk about ACOs or accountable care organizations. I uh, was one of several people that actually uh, had some input into developing that part of the Affordable Care Act, uh, along with Elliot Fisher at Dartmouth and a few others. Uh, so we're very familiar with the concept, but mm -hmm. ba basically uh, it is uh, that uh, physician practices primarily, uh, they may be aligned with hospitals, um, have incentives to uh, hit certain cost and quality metrics for a defined population of patients. And they can share in the savings from that, and in some cases they're also responsible for losses, depending on the Medicare program. The Pioneer program, they're responsible for losses as well as any savings for staying under a predetermined uh, expenditure cap. 
uh, but they have to meet, first of all, 33 quality metrics. Uh, or in the shared savings program, uh, they can share in savings that are not yet responsible for losses. Now, that's Medicare. It should be pointed out that on the private sector side, there are also these risk-based contracts. And in the United States right now, there's over 800 accountable care organizations around the country. So we've been doing a lot of work with these ACOs, with our colleagues at Dartmouth. We've fielded uh, three waves of a national survey of ACOs and have a number of uh, articles published about them. And uh, then also uh, we'll be going in the field probably with the fourth survey as well. We've also developed a taxonomy uh, of these ACOs and have uh, done some work on the extent to which physicians are participating in them. National, evaluation, uh, national evaluations of these uh, are very mixed in terms of so far their ability to contain costs. They have been improving quality, but the evidence on containing costs is decidedly uh, mixed. Uh, on average, the Medicare ACOs may be 1.2% savings uh, on average in very recent evaluations. A number of the Pioneer ACOs had a lead, though, uh, and uh, have gone to other savings models because they really weren't doing so well under some of the parameters of the original uh, legislation. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of uh, glass half full, half empty, mm -hmm. <laughs> which way is it going to rise, and we will see. But it's interesting to observe historically. There's been a greater and faster growth of accountable care organizations over the past three to four years than there were back in the 1970s and 80s with HMOs. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an interesting comparison. Uh, HMOs did grow with the legislation, Nixon administration, 1976, uh, but these ACOs have grown even further. Yeah. So um, it's very much a work in progress. Yeah, and, and I believe, you know, ThetaCare had been at, at one point the most successful of the Pioneer ACOs in terms of their performance. Correct. And w was that how maybe the transition talking more about Lean and ThetaCare and John Toussaint, was, was that how you got introduced um, to, to lean, or I'm curious if you could tell some of the story about how you came to, to learn about that and research that. And, you know, there's similar goals of, of simultaneously improving quality and cost. Um, I was curious if you can tell some of that story, maybe leading up to uh, the founding of, uh, of Clear. Yeah, so the crosswalk, if you will, or the relationship between kind of research we've been doing at Choir and the development of, of Clear is the fact that as payment changes towards more value-based, it puts pressures on hospitals and, and healthcare practices to change fundamentally the way care is delivered and to look for a new way of managing and leading our organizations that uh, use the scientific method to empower frontline workers where mm -hmm. the real waste is to be able to uh, get this done in a way that improves quality and patient responsiveness to patients and at the same time uh, underneath some of these expenditure targets. So my particular connecting of the dots is when I was asked to join the advisory board of the Theta Care Center for Value Creation or the Theta Care Center for Value three years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's where I knew about uh, uh, that Theta Care was an ACO. I had prior knowledge of that Theta Care Bellin. But I saw firsthand what Lean was doing for them and for others to be able to meet those goals. So that uh, originally the Theta Care Center for Value tried to start this research center at another university. 
and it did not get off the ground because of some personnel changes there. So they then turned to us here at Berkeley, knowing about choir, uh, the fact that Lean would be a very uh, nice compliment to choir, whether or not we would start the center here at Berkeley, which we have now done. And, you know, before talking about the research um, that's, that's taking place or is going to take place with Lean, I mean, I'm curious if you have any thoughts to share about other quality improvement methodologies that have been tried over the past um, 20 years in healthcare, um, whether that might be uh, total quality management or or Six Sigma, or even you know, I know a lot of people in the healthcare improvement uh, movement were influenced by W. Edwards Deming and his approach to quality. I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts, kind of reflections around these other methods and and why it seems at times um, quality improvement is is such slow going. This need you 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 mentioned to speed up the transformation of healthcare. What what reflections do you have maybe on you know, uh, ongoing previous attempts to improve healthcare quality? Yeah, Mark, I think that the key difference is the need for an overall comprehensive, everyday concerted approach uh, to improving uh, quality and to getting greater value. And the challenge that has been faced by individual methods or tools, whether or not they be Six Sigma or PDSA cycles, or quality circles, or what was called total quality management. And some of that has worked, by the way, and has been institutionalized. Some of it has not, is the fact that it was often disconnected from an overall uh, culture change in the organization and among the leadership of the organization. Mm -hmm. The techniques and tools have always been there. And so in my view, Lean, although it's commonly thought of as Toyota production system, and the use of, you know, uh, value process mapping and all the other tools available, including PDSA cycles, by mm -hmm. the way, right. that's not really what differentiates Lean. Mm -hmm. What Lean is all about is a new way, fundamentally, of managing and leading an organization from the CEO and the board on down that emphasizes the scientific method as fast as possible in solving problems on the front line and empowering the front line to do that and removing barriers and being a part of the whole system that, that does that as opposed to, oh, yeah, let's try lean in the ED. That's fine if you want to do that and, you know, you're going to do some tools and that will improve throughput, et cetera. Uh, no, that's a one-off. We have a lot of examples of one-offs. Uh, but lean is a much more comprehensive approach. And I don't really care too much whether or not you call it lean, mm -hmm. I mean, some people do. Right. It can be called uh, overall transformation improvement, you know, mindset, philosophy, or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to call it lean, fine, we can call it something else. But it's more than just using the tools. Yeah, I, I agree. And I use the word lean a lot, but I, I often find myself to saying, find myself saying to people, I, yeah, I don't care if you call it lean. The point is not to, quote, unquote, get lean. The point is... Um, to improve and, and, you know, I think, like you said, to accelerate um, the transformation, not just dabbling around the edges with a few tools, but that transformation means, like you said, changing the way leaders uh, manage and lead. And so I, th I think that brings up one of the challenges and, and maybe this is one of the things you'll be researching. I'm curious, you know, what, what you hope to learn um, through the research that uh, the center clear 
will be doing. You know, I see a lot of variation out there where what you described, I, I was, um, you can't see me, but I'm nodding my head and uh, agreeing with you uh, in what you said, but it seems like not every other, not every organization or CEO out there in the realm of healthcare agrees or understands, um, which, uh, which, which is uh, frustrating. It slows the transformation of the health system. But what, what, what are your thoughts on, on that variation and, and other things that you plan on researching? Right. So the aim of our, our center is to help organizations reduce the variation in how they're providing care. And the key is actionable knowledge. Uh, the missing link or the gap that we intend to fill with our center and its associated research is to provide more of an evidence base of actionable knowledge that leaders and everyone can use to, uh, to speed up the transformation. And we have a working definition of lean, Mark, and like I, like, you know, I, I said earlier, you don't have to use the word lean, but basically it's the development of a culture that enables an overall management system to create value for customers or patients in this mm -hmm. case by eliminating waste and solves problems through the daily application of the scientific method in creating standard work. That's kind of the working definition we're using to guide our center's work. And uh, what we plan to do, therefore, is to give you a sense of um, two or three initial major initiatives. And the uh, first one is going to be to field a national survey uh, of the nation's hospitals that in some way are on this overall improvement journey, whether you call it lean or something else. And we're working on that now. It will be uh, fielded after the first of the year with the support, or it's going to be fielded by the American Hospital Association, so we'll have that support and hopefully a high response rate as a result. And we'll be linking that to performance data. Uh, of course, uh, confidentially, we won't identify hospitals by name. Mm -hmm. We'll be analyzing that and getting some reports out to the field. So it'll be the first, really, that we're aware of to describe the landscape of what's going on out there and whether or not there's any association with, uh, with some of these performance metrics. So that'll be one of our first major initiatives. A second thing that our advisory council, we have a strategic advisory council that's advising us as we launch this center, uh, resonates with is trying to see if we can identify eight to ten uh, hospitals or health systems out there that would want to work in an action learning collaborative, overall performance improvement collaborative, for five years, uh, which is a long time commitment to leverage each other's resources and learning, but interacting now with a research center like ours. So we call this action research. We'll feed stuff back. We'll analyze things. We'll facilitate meetings, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And they like this idea because it enables us to do something that's very important, and that is to look at changes over time in the advancement of this improvement journey, lean journey, call it what you want, mm -hmm. and to associate that with changes over time in performance. So we can draw stronger causal inferences. We won't necessarily have a randomized trial, but we'll have over time longitudinal data, which will make the analysis more sensitive to what it is these organizations are doing. So I don't know whether we'll be successful in that or not, but that's one idea we're, we're going to be pursuing. The third part of our center will be anyone that wants to approach us 
to do uh, some research projects with them or others will certainly be open to as well. And uh, we don't pretend to have all the expertise here at Berkeley, but we're going to be able to broker it with about 16 other universities that will have a network to line up with the best people to examine that particular topic. And in that case, our center will act more as a broker or a facilitator, uh, as it were. And the fourth thing is on our website, which I can provide to you and, and listeners. Uh, there'll be information there. We have an annotated bibliography going back to the year 2000, so the last 16 years on research on lean, and we'll be updating that quarterly so people can very easily uh, access what's known to date, what's not known, and uh, that kind of information. And so we'll eventually put tools and presentations on there, and people can go to that website for, uh, for information as well. So those are some of our initial thoughts, but the void that we are meeting is the fact that the existing research base about lean uh, is uh, pretty, uh, pretty meager. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's not a whole lot of evidence that it makes a lot of difference, despite a lot of uh, idiosyncratic, you know, one-off reports. It's working here. It worked in the ED. Mm -hmm. But when you look more systematically, the support isn't overwhelming, certainly not as much as it has been in manufacturing, for example. Yeah, I mean, I think one, one thing that's interesting, you know, because I started my career in, in manufacturing and have spent, kind of almost equal 10 years in each. And, you know, in, in healthcare, I'm still getting accustomed to uh, a lot of people asking about, well, you know, show me the research, show me the journal articles. I'm like, well, I mean, I know oh. <laughs> there are things that have worked in different organizations and we think we understand some of the reasons why they worked. In, in manufacturing, people really never asked for research. It was more applied. Um, you know, you have certainly you had publishing, you had books and articles, maybe, I don't know if this was a, a, a fault or if it's just different that a lot of that work didn't necessarily have academic rigor. Um, but it sounds like that's what you're trying to do here for healthcare. Who people who are looking for um, that sort of um, academic basis um, for for all of this, right? Yes, I think you make a key point in the difference in my own mind. I'm sure I'm probably oversimplifying a bit. Uh, has to do with the highly technical and professional nature of healthcare delivery, particularly with physicians, uh, that you don't have in the same way. Of course, you have very sophisticated mm -hmm. engineers and all kinds of people working in industry. But basically, when you have that, and to some extent, healthcare being largely a not-for-profit field, not exclusively, mm -hmm. those are two key differences. So in sure. manufacturing, my God, you know, if something seems to work in Japan or here, I'm going to try it. And if it gets the results, I don't care if there are any referee journal articles saying it works. It works for me, and I'm going mm -hmm. to drive it home, right? Whereas in healthcare, you know, these physicians are trained, you know, about the randomized trial. They read the New England Journal. They read JAMA, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're naturally saying, well, what's the evidence this is going to work? And there's the bifurcation between the clinical element, the doctors, and often the administrators, right? Mm -hmm. You have the voluntary medical staff. That's changing as more doctors are employed by the organization. So I think in a way it's um, a different standard of evidence and persuasion mm -hmm. that's needed healthcare than in other sectors. And that's what we're going to try to provide. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, uh, yeah, for, for better or for worse, it's, uh, it's necessary. It'll be helpful. 
um, to, to have that. I mean, you, know, you mentioned JAMA. There was an article published earlier this year that that seemed more opinion than science. You know, a couple of uh, doctors from the Boston area really bad mouthing lean and saying, you know, th this doesn't work. This isn't appropriate. And the stories, you know, they told, um, you know, sounded it didn't it didn't sound like lean to me, which maybe points to this right. variation. You know, people can do all sorts of things and, and label it lean, which probably then does that does that make it difficult to do comparative studies or does that highlight the need uh, for for well structured, rigorous studies? Yeah, it's, it's the latter. It, it can make it more challenging and difficult for sure, but it's the need for for more well well done studies, and that's what we're going to try to do with the um, with the collaborative working, you know, with ten eleven organizations that want to engage with us in that. Mm -hmm. And it's also the reason we're trying to launch this national survey. And then if we can do that over time, we'll be able to look at over time differences and produce then more persuasive evidence that maybe not so much it works all the time, but under what conditions and circumstances or when it's more fully implemented and you have measures of that versus less implemented, that's when you get the impact. I mean, at Theta Cares, you probably know, it took them 10 or 11 years before they begin to see some traction and results. And so it doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. The other challenge we have in healthcare is the CEOs turn over an average every three years. Mm. So, you know, you may have somebody in there that's really putting their shoulder to the wheel, he or she leaves, and yet it hasn't been institutionalized, right? It hasn't gotten where the board says that the successor now is going to be a person who really believes in this different way of leading an organization. That's beginning to happen, by the way, but up to now it, it, it has not. So, yeah, I think that's uh, exactly what we're going to try to do. And we've made it clear to our advisors that uh, we're independent, we're going to you know, call it as we see it. We're not uh, advocates for lean or any, any of this. Uh, personally, we may believe in it ourselves, right? Right. But uh, as, as researchers, we're going to design the best studies we can and analyze the data as objectively as we can because a lot of the learning is actually going to come in what doesn't work as well as what mm -hmm. does work. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that doesn't work is, you know, sort of clumsy top-down initiatives where they're not, as, as you said earlier, empowering frontline staff, including physicians, to be scientific uh, problem solvers. You know, the JAMA article, um, you know, I understood the complaints of, you know, kind of, you know, inappropriate standardization, being forced to practice medicine a certain way. And, you know, earlier, maybe when we kind of follow up or ask you to elaborate, you talk about, uh, reducing variation. Um, you know, I noticed you didn't say eliminating variation. Um, I'm, I'm curious, what are some of your thoughts on the controversy or pushback from physicians and clinicians who hear phrases like standard work and reducing variation and, and, uh, and, and, and get upset about uh, maybe a good thing being taken too far? Yeah, I think, I think the key is, uh, is the evidence base. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, is the key that will appeal to most physicians. And once you explain to them, you're not talking about eliminating their clinical judgment of what's best for their patient, but rather almost the opposite. You're studying the overall process by which care is being delivered to that patient and figuring out why there is such variation uh, in that process and the outcomes of care when, in fact, there may be a protocol, a guideline, whatever, 30 studies in the literature 
that suggest little need for that. You ought to do X, Y, and Z. Every doctor ought to do X, Y, and Z. Now, whether or not you do A, B, and C may be up to the idiosyncrasies of your patient, your practice, or whatever, and that's fine. But what we're going to do is standardize where we can to free you up mm -hmm. to exercise your individual clinical judgment where that is absolutely needed. And I think you have to go through examples of that and explain to them we're talking about the overall process of care, not just your choice of this drug or this medication, et cetera, but why is it it ends up too often with the patient you're discharging not following that medication mm -hmm. and having it readmitted? Why is that? You know, it's not an error in your clinical judgment. It's an error in the process of discharge, of follow-up, of communication, of not following a standardized protocol, of not delegating to a care man, you know what I'm saying? So you kind of need to take them through that until they kind of get, get the light, so to speak. Yeah. But it's absolutely yeah. understandable on the surface. And somebody will say, oh, that's cookbook medicine, <laughs> and you can't do any healthcare what you can do in manufacturing, for example. It's a, just a different industry. But you're right, it's a challenge to explain that, that difference. Yeah, and I think you know what what you said is right in line with um, you know I think core lean thinking that standardized work in the same way doesn't uh, eliminate the need for judgment in certain types of work. You know, not all types of manufacturing are uh, extremely repetitive, and um, there there is uh, room for uh, judge you know professional judgment. Um, there's certainly a role for people to play and and using their brains and, and judgment and creativity in improving. The way the work is done, like you mentioned, through um, PDSA cycles, scientific approaches um, to problem solving. So, yeah, I've always thought, you know, it seems like, you know, it's it, it. I hear executives sometimes, hospital executives, sort of bemoaning or if if not whining about, you know, the lack of physician engagement. And a lot of times, I you know sort of try to politely ask, what are you doing to engage the physicians? Yeah. Are you working with them in the name of improvement? Are they partners in your improvement, as I think it should be with lean? Or are you trying to tell them what to do? And uh, you know, I, I, I don't want doctors feeling bullied, and uh, I'm glad that they, they push back. And I think a lot of times that pushback is proportional to the lack of collaboration, lack of leadership. Um, I don't know if it's chicken and egg problem, but um, I mean, we, we, we need to work together. Yeah. Yep. And the point that we try to communicate is we're trying to eliminate, or lean is trying to eliminate unwarranted complexity, key right. term, unwarranted complexity, uh, which is also, by the way, opportunities for greater error. Anytime you can take out a step that not only is streamlining, making something more efficient, you're eliminating a source of error. Yes. And I think that that's another key way, again, how quality and efficiency, hopefully quality and cost, um, are going hand in hand. So um, I wanted to ask, you know, I've got the website here. I'll link to it in the blog post about the episode, but it's www.clear.berkeley.edu. Um, you, you mentioned the, the annotated uh, bibliography. What, what of, you know, of the research and findings uh, will be published and shared publicly? Yeah, so the annotated bibliography is there for everyone, summaries, and we got it broken down by areas, so that's all available to them now. Uh, we also put on there some PowerPoints from a presentation I gave at a conference at Stanford about two or three weeks ago, so that's all there public and to be 
shared where we make observations and summarize what the literature says to date. In terms of the future research that we plan to do, uh, we will share that. It will be in the public domain once it's you know ready to be aired. We will post it on our website. It will be probably, uh, well, it will be. I mean, we'll be submitting it for journal publication. We'll also be sending out reports. We might do webinars. We might do more Mark uh, podcasts with you, mm -hmm. for example. Um, so all of that, we're not going to keep anything under wraps. Once we've vetted it and analyzed the data, it's going to be made available to the field. We'll present at conferences and meetings and things of that sort as, as well. And for the 10 or 11 organizations we work with interactively, we'll be doing even more intensive mm -hmm. and um, you know customized uh, kind of feedback. And so you had mentioned earlier, you know, the action research and looking for organizations to work together. If if somebody is a listener who can bring that forward from their organization, if they're an executive or kind of want to get their executives interested in this, um, possibly being one of those participants, um, what would you recommend in terms of uh, reaching out to you or the center? Yeah, absolutely. They can just send me a direct email. Some have already. It's Shortel, my last name. And we're all at berkeley.edu, as, as you know. Mm -hmm. uh, or they can, you know, send something through the uh, through the website. I think we have something there where they can yeah. sign up or contact you know, that's, us. Yeah. yeah, contact us kind of thing. So either way will we'll work. And we are, we've gotten about a dozen inquiries, and uh, we're going to go, you know, slowly. A, a lot of them don't understandably understand what kind of commitment this might be. Uh, they'll have to put up some of their own resources, but they'll leverage everybody else's nickel to create the research uh, support to be able to do the work, collect data, analyze it, feed it back. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, it, they'll have to view it as part of the journey they're on. Yeah. But they'll say, boy, I'm going to learn so much more by partnering up with, now that there's a Lean Research Center, I can better spend my 50K with them mm -hmm. than adding another 50K to some consultant I'm using, for example because this is going to be interactive and, and with 10 or 11 others. Yeah. So that's the decision they're going to have to make. But, yeah, just encourage your listeners to uh, contact me directly. Okay, yeah, and I hope uh, some of them will. Um, well, maybe also as we wrap up here, um, if you can talk about some of the partners and sponsors of the center to, to give them the credit they're due. Uh, absolutely. So starting off with creates our core budget to even launch the center at all uh, is support from the uh, uh, Lean Enterprise Institute, LEI, in Boston, support from the Theta Care Center for Value uh, out of, of course, Appleton, Wisconsin, John Toussaint, Helen Zach, and all of that group, support from Rona and Associates. Uh, they are a lean consulting firm, as you, as you may know, with about mm -hmm. 25 people or so, and, and uh, John Toussaint, uh, uses Rona to some extent and, and others in order to, to, you know, do the client engagement work. So those are our three core sponsors uh, to get us off the ground. They've each made a commitment for three years. Uh, we are pursuing others as well. Uh, we hope we can get one or two others because we could really use them. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you run across anyone, let, yeah. let us know. Yeah. They, they get full credit, of course, they're on our website. And they see it as an investment, obviously, in terms of uh, their companies and what they're trying to do and 
probably hope it'll lead to further clients as well as we mm -hmm. get some of the stuff out the door. But uh, those are our sponsors currently. We have a strategic advisory council made up of people from those organizations and a couple of others. We also have a research advisory council separate that we're putting together, and that's more from the academic university-based research community. Well, great. So yeah, I think everyone listening knows uh, LEI and um, Theta Care Center. Rona Consulting Group um, has, has done a lot of great work. Mike Rona was an executive at Virginia Mason Medical Center. Uh, Mike uh, wrote uh, the foreword for uh, the first edition of my book, Lean Hospitals and, and John Toussaint. Um, it was no offense meant to Mike, but as John and I started working together, John wrote the forewords for the second and um, third editions. But it's great that, the, uh, the, that they are involved and, and they each have a lot of uh, experience to, uh, to, to share. And I'm glad their organizations are providing uh, that support. So very happy to hear that, Steve. It's interesting, Mark. It's a small world. Mike Rona was a student of mine, believe it or not, some years ago at University of Washington. Really? Okay, that is a small <laughs> yeah. world. <laughs> yeah, you, we were both fairly young then. He was a young pup, and he went off to Mason. And uh, I actually saw him about two years ago. He was in the Bay Area here, and we had uh, we had lunch together. Yeah. Ah, well, that's good. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, you're right, small world. So. Um, well, I appreciate you taking some time today, um, Steve, to talk about uh, the Center for Lean Engagement and Research in, in Healthcare. Um, looking forward to seeing how this develops and, and maybe at some point down the road, like you said, when there uh, are some new findings or, or data or research, uh, I would love to do a podcast again with you and, and have you share some updates with us. Yeah, ha happy to do that. Yep. So um, again, our guest today has been uh, Steve Shortell from uh, Cal Berkeley and CLEAR, the Center for Lean Engagement and Research in Healthcare. I mean, go to www.clear.berkeley.edu to uh, learn more and maybe even get involved. So um, Steve, do you have any uh, final thought that you might want to share uh, with the listeners? No, I would only say that there's this golden opportunity over the next few years, I think, particularly with the uh, upcoming macro legislation, uh, which is supposed to roll out by 2019. And as the payment uh, continues to change towards these value-based payment models, it will put additional pressure as well as opportunity uh, for clinical and managerial leaders to, to really transform healthcare in their markets. And uh, so I, I just think uh, now's the time to strike. Well, and like you said, the, the need is great, uh, the need for improvement, the need for accelerating uh, that improvement. So, um, you know, thank you for, for uh, your work and thank you for joining us here today on the podcast. Uh, thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.